With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I got the city I've been proud. Treading water that they drown in. My head on a swivel. Yeah. It's only really my surroundings. Hello and welcome to episode 76 of the Smash Accept Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Royer. You can find me on Twitter at Dynasty underscore DadFF. Mung, it is Combine Week, you know, and I am super stoked to start seeing what some of these rookies can do, you know, and we get them out there and, and see some of these measurables and, and really start to... For me, it's like we had Senior Bowl. We did that. Now, all of a sudden, we're moving into Combine and we're like, we're getting closer to the draft, man. I'm getting excited. Yeah, one of these years uh, we'll have to make a trip and actually go. But uh, until then, we'll we'll continue watching and just plug in the the info into our Excel spreadsheets uh, like nerds. But uh, it, it's going to be Dude. make or break for some of these second tier running backs, wide receivers. It'll be really interesting to see who tests well uh, and who raises or you know decreases their draft stock. Mung, we will lock it up because Dynasty Bro Vic said I can sleep at his house. So he's like, you come down there. They're they're from Indianapolis, so. Guys, our, I am super excited. You know, we're doing back-to-back podcasts tonight, and I wouldn't do that for just anybody because I want this guy to be on here. You know, this was one of the guys when I first started out in the industry where he had some sweet dance moves in his Tennessee Titans jersey. One of the guys that's just awesome when it comes to Dynasty content. From College to Canton podcast on Rotoviz. I mean, he is literally everywhere. Travis May, welcome to the show. No matter what I do, I'm never going to escape uh, me doing the wobble on Twitter. Dude, I know. Like, that was, yo, so I started really listening to, like, DTC around those times. And, like, that was when I first started. Because that was about five years ago now, right? And I was like, yo, you you did something on there. And I was like, what is this guy doing? But you were rocking the Titans jersey. I got to say, I loved it. You know, it adds a little bit of flavor to it. Yep. Uh, yeah, that was a lot of fun. I don't even know. It was some kind of weird challenge. The the Titans mascot was like doing the wobble with some fans, and I was like, man, he's kind of he's kind of doing it wrong, I, you know. And and somebody, maybe it's John Bosch or somebody else, saw me say that, and was like, well, so you could do it better. And I was like, look, hundred retweets or whatever. Don't mess yeah, with sure, John Bosch. He will make it and happen. So within like an hour, it was coasting to you know several hundred retweets. And I was like, oh crap. I'm like at work. Like, uh, you know, I'm not going to do this right now at my desk, but, uh, so as soon as I got home, uh, yeah. And that's still probably my, uh, most engaged tweet, you know, probably millions now. I, I don't even know, but it, people didn't let me live that one down for a long I mean, time. I mean, it's six years ago and here we are. Is it six? Yeah. Here we are. Like, yeah. I gotta say though, the, the other <laughs> yeah. one that's probably like, you, you, I would much rather be known for that than Stompy and his singlet. You know, that was Ooh, the other thing with the, the dynasty hmm. industry is just, that not, yo, my kids flattering. walked by one time and it was on my computer screen because he was on the show and they're like, Dad, yo, why you got that guy in a singlet on your computer? And I'm like, Oh man, this is gonna scar my kids. I was like, I had to let him listen to the pod. 
Yeah, it wasn't enough for him to just have the singlet on, but they had to zoom in. Right? <laughs> yeah, like... <laughs> it's like, okay. Stompy's yep, a okay, confident we, we man. Did. He's a he's a confident man, you know? And for I've, some I've... reason, I don't... <laughs> Oh man! Anyway, uh, moving on. Yeah, and and on this podcast, we don't want to come up short like that. So what we're gonna do oh, is we're gonna God. talk about <laughs> no, it's the combine week, Travis. So you got to be super excited, you know, from doing things over at Rotoviz with your podcast, College to Canton. I mean, you are firmly involved in Devi. You're big time into these rookies, and now we start to see, you know, we're past the the Senior Bowl. We're in a spot now where we get to see some of them test out, you know. And this is something where we're starting to look for certain thresholds and looking for guys to meet certain numbers. Yeah, speaking of singlets, right? It's uh, the Underwear Olympics this week. So it is. I'm really excited. Uh, and I, I think it's always fun because, well, I, I kind of like just lean into the chaos and, and poke my friends that I know, you know, they, they're nerdier than me. And so they, all, they, they know all the signal related to all the testing, you know, from a statistical perspective. And, uh, and then you have the people that don't really know much at all. They're just like, oh, yeah, the 40 is everything. And so – on Twitter, they all meet and they all argue for like a few weeks here. And I think it's just hilarious. Yeah, we have draft Twitter meets, you know, meets fantasy Twitter. And they all just kind of like they start arguing back and forth. Um, I saw your tweet today. I mean, some of the things that we're looking for, like obviously wide receiver a- athleticism. You know, what are what are some things that you guys are trying to look for? I mean, there's some this this wide receiver class looks pretty exciting, you know, and, and I know this class we've had people talk isn't anything compared to 2023, but there are some nice pieces in here and there's some wide receivers who I think will test out really well day one. Yeah, I, absolutely. I mean, with wide receivers, it's a bit weird for wide receivers specifically because we, we at Rotoviz like uh, like our, our freak score, like it takes a look at their overall athleticism and, and like size adjusted speed and, and things like that uh, to try to add some value. And it might add a very small uh, amount of value to a player's projection uh, but exclusive from what it just does to their draft capital. And I'm not really sure. So like I- I'm looking for players that, you know, basically outperform their projected expectation more than I am just like a, a magic number uh, because at this point there's so many mocks and there's so much consensus data running around now, like more than ever that we kind of understand where a lot of these wide receivers uh, specifically are, are projected to go, especially like the early round guys uh, so yeah, I, I think it does help capital if, if you, especially if you eclipse, uh, you know, that like sub four four. Um, but there's not really like a magic number given your height or weight that says, hey, this player is going to hit. Um, you know, for the most part, we want to see guys break, you know, at least four six. There are some exceptions that were slower than four six, but there's not many. And so, um, but what was really weird though about wide receiver athletic testing specifically with the 40 yard dash is that if you do statistical testing on it, you'll actually find a negative correlation between being fast and working out in the NFL just slightly. Uh, and that's, uh, I, I, anytime I bring that up, they're like, wait, that's impossible. How, how would it be better to be slower? And that's not what I'm saying. Uh, it's actually, this has been explained by several other people, but I just like to bring it up and kind of explain it like this. It's a sampling issue. Like we zoom way in as far as you can. And anybody who even gets an, an NFL combine invite as a wide receiver, you're already in like the 99.9th percentile of athlete on the planet. And mm-hmm. so we zoom in so far that we don't really see that um, there's any value added when you're slightly faster, like a 4-4 versus a 4-5-5 uh, translating into fantasy points. 
Uh, in fact, it's slightly, ever so slightly, the opposite, which is an odd concept. But obviously, if we all lined up at the NFL Combine and we were all running five and a half second 40s left and right, uh, the signal would obviously indicate, yes, it's better to be faster to succeed. But um, it's called Berkson's Paradox. Uh, if you, you, listeners, if you want to look it up later, it's basically just, just a sampling issue. Um, but really, uh, it doesn't really mean much if you run a 441 versus a 459, especially given your respective size. So I'm not really looking at that. I, I want to see how uh, your athleticism translates to your projected role. So I'm looking. Uh, for the smaller, shiftier guys, I want to see your three-cone drill, and I want to see your 20-yard uh, shuttle. Uh, for the big guys that are in contested situations, I, I love to see guys, you know, kill it in the vert and, and broad jump and be really bursty. Um, and, um, you know, when something doesn't match the tape, I guess, when something doesn't match our expectation in a good way or a bad, that can knock a player down like a full round of draft capital. So that's that's what I'm concerned about, how it's going to affect their draft capital, because draft capital itself kind of functions as a conglomeration or, or model uh, to project the player's future. And it's really just an expression of all the stats, all of the, the film they put together, all their athletic testing, all in one. And that speaks way more volumes to a player's projection than just a 40-yard dash time would. Thank you. I mean, because our listeners are asking that all the time. They're like, what are we looking for? You know, what kind of speed should everybody have? And everyone really pays attention to that 40 time. I, I'm glad that you said that based off of what type of wide receiver they are and things like that. Travis, the real question is, if you're running the 40 today, what are you timing out at? Um, you know, it's funny. Like right now, uh, I'm having some uh, back issues because I'm old and broken. But uh, <laughs> uh, I think... That's part of being a dad, you know. Yeah, for you guys don't know, Travis is now a a, a, <laughs> a father, so you know that starts that comes with yeah. the territory. Got a, got a three three month old son, so I'm a little bit slower than I normally would be. But uh, even last year, uh, for my fantasy, oh, not fantasy, my flag football league, like our our church league that we take way too seriously, uh, we've been doing for like five seasons now. Uh, we actually held our first uh, inaugural uh, combine, and I, nice. I put everything together. And I got everybody's, I, I built out a custom spark score that, uh, you know, puts the, puts the average performance, uh, like weighted score right at a 100. And, uh, and so it's, I nerd, nerded out way too hard. With that that is awesome. Anyway. So like there was only one person that got under five seconds <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I was like a 5.08. Okay. Uh, so not, not great, but you know, none of us are training. We just showed up on a Saturday morning and like, not, you know, some of them didn't even have cleats. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and just like, hey, let's just run. Let's see what happens. Uh, so it was it was embarrassing and 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 great, but uh, yeah, so that was really for cool. maybe like a five flat. Okay, know? that's what last year at a Buffalo Bills game, I ran a five flat in skinny jeans. But I think I I think I think they bust they boosted it up. They're like this guy's forty. We're gonna kind of get it in there. Mung would definitely toast both of us, right? <laughs> oh no, I, I got long strides, but I'm not fast. I'd be lucky to crack six seconds, I think. But, uh, you know, I, I would just tell people I pulled my hammy towards the end of it. So that, that's really what caused it. That's a good way to do it. So, Travis, what I've been asking everybody is there's a, there's a huge disconnect right now. And everyone is super excited for that 2023 class. And we're almost overlooking some of these prospects. From a dynasty perspective, you know, we had on multiple people here. We had Jeff Bell, Matt Hicks. They were both saying there was probably about seven guys that would go before the 101 this year. You know, whoever is going to be in that situation right now. I still have it at Burks. But talk to me a little bit about the 2023 class because you are deeply involved in Devi and how excited we should be. But we shouldn't, you know, 
compared to this class. You know, there's so many people. I I use the example. I saw one of one of our listeners traded the 103 for a random 23 first. You know, and like this class is still going to have some nice players in it, and 2023 is exciting. You know, almost like people that were in 2019 and they they missed up on 2020 picks are feeling a little bit like it's a similar type situation. Yeah, I, I, we always want to look ahead and we always want to have the next best shiny thing. And that's what the 2023 uh, rookie class looks like, uh, especially right now. Uh, I mean, like Bryce Young uh, from Alabama, uh, CJ Stroud, Ohio State at quarterback position. It's, that, it's those top two. And then there's a really solid hard gap uh, after that. But there are several players who could leap up into top tier quarterback discussions but what's really fun in in fantasy football is that it looks like an absolutely stacked running back group uh and so that's what we really love is is young running backs uh and there's probably gonna be maybe four or five names that uh, are worth uh, taking relatively early next year so i think that's that's really intriguing for uh us fantasy nerds and then the wide receiver group is as good or better than this year and this year is probably you know a solid 10 options deep that probably stick and and work out and have a real role so knowing that the running backs are way better uh wide receivers are probably similar or or even a little bit better and and the, the peak uh profiles of the two quarterbacks are perhaps better than any quarterback this year i get i get the excitement but uh we are waiting a, a full year of you know not seeing that production so i think the value in and getting you know the, the best you know third best player in this class that's you know that's potentially the running back one in the class in superflex leagues or that's potentially your wide receiver one in this class or potentially your quarterback one in this class like that's that's a big deal um mm-hmm. so getting a full years of uh, year production um especially if you're on a in a win now situation moving like that for that example you gave moving the 103 for a random uh, 2023 first, which might be the 1.07, eight, nine. Like that's not that's not what I would do. I wouldn't go that far because I think that's it's, it's going to be uh, still pretty good. But I mean, like next year, there's like three wide receivers that could just sit out the entire season, and they'd already be first round picks in my opinion. Like Jackson Smith and Jigba, Ohio State. He doesn't have so to do good. a, a, a freaking thing like at all. Uh, Keishawn Boutte, LSU. Nope, doesn't have to do anything at all. Like as long as he's healthy, we're good to go. Uh, Jordan Addison, even Pitt, I think he's probably done enough as well. Uh, all those guys, I think, would be first round picks. Josh Downs, North North Carolina uh, wide receiver, I think he's almost to that point. I mean, he was leading the nation in so many categories uh, for much of the year, uh, being really the only decent uh, receiving option for North Carolina this past year. But I mean, I could go down a list, you know, twenty five deep of guys that I'm really intrigued about next year. So I, I get the hype. I'm just. I'm just like whoa, whoa, whoa! Don't don't get too, don't get don't don't go too far with it. Right? No, I I get that. I'm just trying to reiterate that for our listeners because we get so many questions on trades. I mean, we are a trade podcast, and they're always, yo, what am I doing with this 23 first? People are trying to, you know, they're seeing moves out there where, you know, people are getting Cooper Cup for a 23 first, or they're getting, you know, they're getting a top-notch asset and it's it's all price dependent obviously but i am trying to get all of our people that come on you know as analysts to talk about that especially someone like yourself who who deals in debbie so much you know and i oh, yeah. i think um for our listeners out there and myself and mung i mean we both want to get into debbie as well what would you say to someone who's like trying to start out in debbie and and how deep they should go into it and why that would that makes them a better overall like 
not just you know get more involved in the college, but a better football fan in general. I think it's just it brings just a brand new perspective. Uh, I think if you understand where players come from and their journey throughout college football, um, you you can kind of ignore a bunch of the ignorant noise that happens around this year with just terrible takes uh, when it comes to a player's athleticism or the context surrounding their production profile or something like people just talk this time of year and they have no idea what they're talking about. They just, they just, and it's okay. Like it's, it's okay to start in March. Like there's nothing wrong with that, but I think um, we're missing uh, key variables uh, with a lot of players sometimes when we're starting in, in March with these mm-hmm. rookies or even January with these rookies. Cause I mean, like you're, you're, you're going to figure out and, and learn everything you need to know about, you know, 30 plus wide receivers and 20 running backs and a half dozen quarterbacks. And um, it's just a lot of information. So sifting through and understanding the full uh, career of a player, I think there's some added value there. Uh, I know that, that, you know, I, I've gotten into arguments about, uh, you know, anchoring bias and like having takes take lock on players. Uh, and honestly, I think I used to have that issue coming from a Debbie perspective, ha- you know, having a, a particular opinion about a player over the course of his, his three year tenure at mm-hmm. Georgia or something, and then not being able to adjust when he's drafted earlier than I expect. And I think that's real. Uh, but I think uh, it, it's what you do with the information. Um, but more than anything, it just gives you a brand new uh, portion of football and, and football players and teams to just get excited about and enjoy. Like that's, that's it for me. Like I, I started dabbling in Debbie leagues, uh, I guess 2013, 14, maybe. And um, and then I just dove head first and did several. And uh, I didn't really know. I, I thought I knew a lot about college football, but there are 130 FBS teams. And so it's such a labyrinth of information to sift through. It can be overwhelming at first. So if you're brand new to it, I, I wouldn't try to jump off of the cliff and do a 50-round deep Debbie. Uh, that, that would be a little bit too much. You, you won't even know the names once you get to round 15. Um, but, you know, you get your feet wet, even maybe um, if you're jumping in with a bunch of new people together, uh, build it in where you actually expand the draft over time. Uh, that, that's that's one of the best models I've seen where you start off with just two or three rounds of Debbie where you can roster, you know, as a league, you know, 24 to 36 players initially. And then year two, you add up one round. Year three, you add uh, two more rounds and just expand it and you know, build it into where you, you get to a point you think, you know, that's that's about right. Maybe, maybe the sweet spot is six rounds for you guys. Maybe maybe it's 10. Maybe you go crazy and make it a full scale college to Canton League where you have a full college roster and an NFL roster and both teams score like that's like that's a whole different animal itself. But um, I would ease into it and, and build a league uh, if I was starting over from scratch that kind of naturally expands uh, with my growing interest and knowledge base. I love that. I mean, Mung and I have been talking about it for, you know, a couple of months where it's like we want to kind of dip our toes in there. That's something new. But I know, you know, College to Canton is like a whole nother beast. And, yes. and Katie Flowers talked about that on here. And the one thing I want to say that you said that is just so important. I saw Ray GQ tweeted it out today, too, is like we have so much noise out here right now about fantasy rookies, you know, and, and our rookie drafts. And that's why at Smashing Trap, I mean, we have – you know, like I said, we had Matt Hicks, we have you on, we have Thor Nystrom coming on, you know, like trusted people. Make sure you, when you guys are listening to rookie content, you're not just taking everything in, you know, you want to find those guys that are trusted. Uh, Travis, I, for me, I got two guys in the top tier here for, for my wide receivers, and that's Traylon Burks and Garrett Wilson. 
would you put anybody else in that top tier and how do you differentiate those guys? No, I, I wouldn't. That is the end of my top tier uh, right now as well. Um, I think actually I may have said that on the, uh, uh, I almost said Roto World, but uh, the NBA, NBC Sports Edge, you know, a good football show here recently with Pat Curran. And, and uh, really it's those two guys and then everybody else for me. And I, I guess from the sounds of it, you were in that same camp. Um, yeah. But I, I didn't know that that was kind of normal to have it one, two, and just be uh, really, you know, anchored in there, I guess, <laughs> convinced that that's uh, the clear top two. But um, and it's not that I, I think the other wide receivers are bad. Uh, I think that they're like I said, there's like 10 that I'm really interested in. But um, it's just those two I have less questions about. And it's so funny because they're such different players. Uh, I do have questions about how Traylon Burks is going to be used. Just And you've you probably heard tons of people say this, but he was mainly a slot wide receiver at Arkansas, which is odd for a 6'3", 225-pound monster. Yeah. Um, but and I think that people that, have been – I mean, there's a lot of people are giving him, you know – saying A.J. Brown with a little bit more wiggle or a slightly larger Debo Samuel. I know you're a Tennessee guy, so you're like, you hear A.J. AJ Brown, I got a man crush on him, I'm not even going to lie. But, I mean, Traylon Burks has some of that, some of those type tendencies, and he's my wide receiver one in the class. John always has Garrett Wilson. Mung hasn't, we haven't quite gone where, where your guy is. I believe you're in that same camp. You and I usually, you know, are. But Traylon Burks has the upside to be, in my opinion, a guy that, if utilized, could be a wide receiver one in the NFL. And I think yeah. Garrett, Garrett Wilson is close as well. Yeah, absolutely. And and Burks' usage was a little bit odd in that uh, just schematically, they, they Arkansas loved to run. K.J. Jefferson added some value with his legs, um, and they like to do a bunch of short stuff, uh, even throwing some screens to Burks. And then when they really get in trouble, they just yellow ball it to Burks. And, yeah. it, and it works most of the time. And uh, it's hilarious. Like, why don't you just do that more? Like uh, the back shoulder fade or just the chuck it downfield. And, uh, you know, Tra- Traylon Burks is down there somewhere. Uh, <laughs> and that's that absolutely works. Um, but I think he's going to be a little bit more challenged. Uh, he needs to round out his game quite a bit. He's yeah, uh, just like a DK Metcalf. He's not going to be that fast, by the way. But uh, just like DK, he was he was not perfect. DK was like, a left wide receiver only that only did curls and goes like, and maybe right. a slant, maybe an out here and there, but like there was nothing uh, to his game. Like it was very simple. And it was because all he needed to do was just dunk on tiny little college players most of the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, cause he's, you know, even in the NFL, like a top five or six athlete at the position, if not the most impressive athlete at the position. So Burks has the potential to be there. I think he's more around like a four, four, four. I don't think he's going to yeah. be a four, three, four, like Arkansas fans might believe. But I know if, if um, he runs a sub four, four, people are going to, they're going to lose, lo- they're going to lose it. And the thing is, yeah. I mean, because he's six, three, two twenty five, and great with those 50, 50 balls. The one thing at the combine Travis that over the years that I've noticed is like, People will double count that, right? Traylon Burks, we know, is going to run close to a 4-4. But if he runs a 4-3-9, all of a sudden people are like, oh, that's it. You know, you got to go up and get him. You know, and I, I think that's one thing that I've noticed in the combines over the last couple of years is, like, people like to double count stuff. You know, they like to just, if they test how they think we're going to test, then they're like, oh, that was great. Let's let's move them up. And that's exactly what I try to avoid. Like, I'm looking for players to uh, outdo what my expectation is, not – 
just confirm what I already know and then move them up even higher. Mm-hmm. Um, although I, I guess, you know, you can make an argument that there's some value in actually seeing it happen, but it's, it's so minuscule. Like, <laughs> like yeah. I, it's just so minuscule. Like, uh, so I think we all know Burks is projected to be a sub four five. If he's four five one, I'm not going to panic because that's average actually for wide receivers and he's mm-hmm. huge. So don't, don't throw the panic button on. If he doesn't, uh, you know, just go bonkers with a, you know, sub four four. Yeah. Garrett people Wilson. Then. Oh, go ahead, Mom. On, uh, I was gonna say people panicked on I think Metcalf, right? When he was a three cone that he didn't run particularly well, and everyone was like, "Oh, he can't do anything." Uh, I mean, it was a Tom Brady level three cone. I mean, it was it was <laughs> some of us would be in that same realm. But yeah, I, but it was guess, it was I real mean, bad. Like Travis, when you're looking at these where you're saying, okay, if he runs like a four five forty, it's not the end of the world. Are there certain metrics where you would say, okay, now this is like a clear red flag where I might consider dropping him into that second tier? Um, I think if it if I if he's just like worse than four six out of nowhere, uh for some reason, then we were just kind of wrong <laughs> about his initial forty yard burst i think i would be worried but not because i think that changes what he can do i think it it would just be that it probably negatively affects his draft stock and maybe early career opportunities uh, by extension so I, i think i already am pretty confident looking at a player with like a 94th percentile adjusted production index and not many questions from how he dominates um so it wouldn't it'd be really tough to really move him down like a full tier but he wouldn't the gap wouldn't be so wide and i think garrett wilson I think Garrett Wilson might be my clear, clear wide receiver one uh, and he's here by himself. Okay, so and, you have Wilson. I, didn't even, I like it. Yeah, and yes. I didn't even mean necessarily just like the 40. I mean, in, in general, are there any mm-hmm. metrics where if they test, you know, poorly enough where that that's a red flag for you, whether, you know, it's the three cone, whatever it might be? Yeah, and, but again, it's it's only if I think it's going to negatively affect their – their draft stock. So like D- DK Metcalf was like a fourth percentile three cone, which, <laughs> or, and so that's, uh, that actually probably did hurt his capital. Like when you look back on it, uh, Andy Isabella went before DK Metcalf. Um, yeah. and I don't think that happens if he didn't completely flop in that one particular athletic measurable. And even in his, uh, his, his shuttle, I think he was like third percentile or something too. Like it, it wasn't as, obvious like i think more more people look at the cone but his shuttle wasn't good either and so his agility score was like the first percentile and when we already have concerns about a player not running any route diversity which i think is an overrated thing that we overvalue but it's real like if you already have concerns like man is he ever going to do anything other than a curl and a go at the pro level and if is that going to be a problem and i think enough teams question that twice and passed him like over and over and over again and so I think if a player is sub, you know, like bottom quartile and just about anything, I'm probably docking them a little bit in draft capital projection. And so that will change models slightly. So we talked about the way Burks wins. I mean, Garrett Wilson wins totally different, right? I mean, he's just a polished route runner. He's got that speed. And I think, you know, we, we talked about Burke's situation is could be definitely affected by draft where where he goes. I think Garrett Wilson's going to win most situations where he goes. I mean, I really like watching his tape. I just think Burks has that higher ceiling. Would you agree with that? And and how excited are you for, for Wilson? 
I think I'm really excited about Wilson because we knew he was good when he was like 16. Like I'm a, I'm a major recruiting nerd and uh, coming into, I mean, I'm in this one league where we're drafting. It doesn't matter. I'm draft. We're drafting people way too far out. It's he had a good coach. He had a good but, quarterback in college, in high school though. Yeah. Yeah. He, he had did. Baker but, like, Mayfield. We knew, we knew that he was going to absolutely smash. Like he was a wide yeah. receiver too in his class. He was a five-star talent and he leaped through the roof even as a high school kid. I uh, already had NFL speed as a high school kid. And so there was really not many questions when he, he jumped on the field and uh, immediately succeeded uh, in ways that they asked him to out of the slot. And then they shifted him outside and he won there too. Uh, and any role in any season, uh, he was progressing and showing that he was uh, an efficient wide receiver and checked all the boxes, at least from a minimum uh, threshold perspective, like, you know, over a 30% dominator, uh, 3.2 yards per team pass attempt, good good marks for touchdown uh, per team pass attempts, any kind of production metric, like yards per route run, like that, he was he was solid enough, even though he was, even when he was splitting targets with uh, a future first rounder uh, and Jackson Smith and Jigba, and probably another first rounder in Chris Olave. Yeah, the, I want to stay in that. We're going we're to move to running backs here a little bit. Because, again, I have two guys in my top tier, and I'm almost – I have a third guy, like, super, super close. Isaiah Spiller, for me, is the running back one in the class for me, followed by Hall and followed by Walker. Can you talk to me about those running backs? Those are the guys – I mean, we all know running backs is what everybody wants to hear about when it comes to fantasy football. Those are the guys that are probably going to start moving up draft boards a little bit more. You know, you look at a lot of mock drafts now, and, you know, Burks and Wilson are up there towards the top. But Spiller, Hall, and Walker are three guys that a lot of our listeners are really asking about. Yeah, I mean, because it's, it's those three that we have any expectation of going very early in the draft. Um, I don't think there's going to be any first round running backs this year, yeah. uh, and that's that's okay. Like maybe one guy gets reached for like if if Hall actually really wows at the combine more so than we think, or uh, or, or Spiller does too, given the fact that he came through the SEC and posted three back to back to back impressive seasons, and and not only that, you know, improved against the toughest competition. Like his first year knock was that he averaged like three point two or three point three yards per carry against SEC competition, and only smashed bad teams. But he really rounded that out in the 2020 season when they basically only played SEC competition. Uh, and then in his final year, um, did just the same. Uh, you know, Kenneth Walker, he was nowhere near this conversation a year no. ago for, for Debbie Leagues. In five, six, seven, eight round leagues, he was unrostered uh, just a year ago. Um, and because we didn't really know what was going to happen. Like he was going from Wake Forest a situation where the offensive line play was absolutely terrible. Their yards like before contact allowed for the running backs was like 80th or 90th in his first two seasons. It was really, really gross. And he got out of town. I made the wise decision. And, uh, you know, Mel Tucker was like, Hey man, we're going to build this offense around you. And uh, obviously that worked out because he almost won the Heisman this year. He was like a Heisman semifinalist. So uh, kudos to his performance this year. But uh, I think some are going to have questions about his receiving. And that's valid. Um, I think he in high school, he actually was a decent receiver, had some experience there. Uh, but it's very different catching a, a ball from an NFL quarterback than it is a high school quarterback. So uh, I, we haven't seen much precedent in recent years of guys immediately becoming like this receiving threat uh, at the running back position if they didn't do it much at all in college. Like the um, one recent example where that 
the player did grow into that role though was AJ Dillon for the Green Bay Packers. Like there was mm-hmm. a season where he had 300 carries and zero receptions for Boston College. Like how in the world is that even possible? <laughs> um, and then he shows up and just ease him into that role, and they eventually uh, turn him into a 30 plus catch kind of back. And that's that's yeah. if if Walker can do that by year three. That's fantastic. But I, I think he's probably going to be limited in that regard in, in year one, whereas Spiller and Hall, I, I have no question about their ability to contribute in all facets of the game. I think Hall is a little bit more athletic. I think he's a little bit smoother as a runner, uh, and he's got the more impressive production profile, albeit against maybe slightly softer competition. But he's a, a more amped up, better version of David Montgomery, and we've already seen him find success at the NFL level mm-hmm. uh, coming from the same program there. Uh, and Spiller, I think – one thing that no one's really that I've heard has, has expressed concern over is that he actually was kind of a timeshare back uh, at times at Texas A&M, like sharing a lot of work with De- Devon Shane, who was way more explosive than him, actually. And, and to be fair, uh, Shane's probably the fastest running back in the country. But still, uh, he he was, you know. He wasn't like this huge, huge feature that had back-to-back 1,700 yards from scrimmage seasons like Brees Hall. So I give the edge to Hall, uh, but Spiller and Walker both deserve to be in the conversation given uh, their skill sets. Well, I think, and I'm, I'm glad you said David Montgomery because I, I feel like a lot of people are almost, this class is similar to that, right? It was like Jacobs, Sanders, yeah. you know, and and Montgomery, and there was, those are guys that were like, they're going to be solid RB2s for you, right? Like, none of them are guys where you're like, if I draft them as my RB1, I'm going to feel comfortable. You know, like, those are that. Do you think these guys fall into that same territory where these are guys that are going to be, you know, solid producers in the NFL, maybe RB2s for your fantasy team? Or do you think any of them have the the upside of, of potentially being an RB1, you know, even if it's back end? I think Brees Hall uh, does. I think he can carry the load uh, year one. And take 250 plus carries. I don't know. I don't think anybody's going to be a Najee and immediately be a running back four, running back three right. uh, overall, right out of the gate. But I think the guy that I would be most confident in doing that out of this crew would be Brees Hall. But I think we have, you know, a lot of guys, uh, I guess not a lot, but all three of the guys could be that Javante Williams that we all project super high and then he just gets committed and it's frustrating. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that could happen for all three, but I think whichever one lands with like the Texans, despite how bad they're going to be, uh, they're just going to force feed that role. So I think that person, uh, regardless of which running back it is probably becomes the consensus running back one, just because they're going to see a bunch of work. Yeah. And then sleeping on Rex Burkhead. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, totally. David Johnson still, right? Um, So we went over the the top two running backs and the top two wide receivers. Now, I know you play in a lot of super flex formats. I mean, that's all I play now. That's what most of our listeners do. Are there any quarterbacks? You know, a lot of people are are having Willis up there. I've actually had one one analyst come on and say they they have Pickett above, you know, most of these, most of the wide receivers and running backs here. Talk to me a little bit about the quarterback class. And if we're, most of the, the time what I'm seeing in, mock drafts is I'm seeing Willis go early and then I'm seeing all of these guys go and the quarterback starting to get pushed back. But we're looking at five guys who could at least four guys who are looking at getting drafted in the first round. These quarterbacks get first round draft capital. They look good at the combine. We might start pushing them up a little bit. Uh, Yeah, I think um, coming into this process, there were six names even that were in the mix for first round draft capital. And I wouldn't rule 
necessarily any of them uh, completely out. Uh, I don't think that Carson Strong deserves to be anywhere in any other conversation just because he's such a liability um, from a sack perspective and athletic perspective. Like, I mean, he, the dude had negative 20% rushing yard market share last year. Uh, yes, he's never heard of that. It. Yeah, that's yeah. crazy. So, I mean, basically, he, because of how sack yardage is counted against you in college, you can have negative percent of your team's rushing yards. And he seriously had negative 20% of their rushing yards it's just just terrible like it's just laughably awful and yes he was coming off uh as a, a procedure on his leg uh but even the year before that it was negative eight percent which is also trash like it's really really <laughs> bad like it would be the the most immobile quarterback to see round one capital um in the last 10 years i believe uh, and in fact since 2016 uh, the only quarterback in their peak passing season from an efficiency standpoint uh, had negative rushing yards. And that player's name was Josh Rosen. Uh, so uh, in terms of he first round well. quarterbacks, yeah, that worked out great. The NFL's well, done with guys that are absolute liabilities yeah. uh, in that regard and can't add some value with their legs. Uh, Mac but Jones Josh, is, Rose, Josh Rosen did add some value to his teams. He locked up the 101 for their teams. <laughs> you know, he did it two years in a row. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Such a, such a sad mess. But Mac Jones was the exception this year because he had, like, two back-to-back uh, -back seasons of, like, 95th percentile and above pass efficiency. And so we kind of saw a player whose passing efficiency outweighed his ho-hum, like, barely above zero rushing yards type ceiling. Mm -hmm. and, and But here's the thing. He's never going to be a, like a top five quarterback because he doesn't run and it's yeah. never going to happen. He could throw 45 touchdowns and he'll probably be the QB seven, you know? So like, I'm not interested in that type. And that's why Carson Strong's not in the conversation, but the rest of the guys can add value with their legs. Like they have at least one season, all of them, a uh, 15% or more rushing yard market share for their teams. So that's intriguing. And all of them, except for Malik Willis um, have at least 90th percentile passing efficiency metrics in their peak year mm -hmm. uh and malik willis only doesn't because he just likes to throw picks and and just <laughs> he has to you know carry the load for his team but he had the highest upside given the tools uh, for sure and that's why people are that's why he's going to be the first quarterback off the board in the real draft mm -hmm. and many at superflex drafts but i think matt corral and and sam howell are probably analytically safer uh than malik willis is no i, I like that and I, I just feel like right now that that mid to late first is starting to feel a lot better. You know, like there was a there was a time here when we jumped into this process, you know, in February and we started talking about things and it's like, ooh, who are we taking here and there? But some of these quarterbacks are going to push up. I like some of these running back and, and wide receiver values. Is I mean, the term for Willis is toolsy, you know, and he's going to end up being that guy that goes one-on-one in a lot of these drafts but might not get onto the field right away. Talk to me a little bit about, like, him being at liberty and what that does and, and, you know, what kind of perspective do you have on him? Well, yeah, he, he has a weird journey. Started out at Auburn and was not going to see the field because Bo Nix's dad was a, was a, a former player there as well. And so Bo Nix being a five-star quarterback coming into the process, mm -hmm. there was no way, regardless of how good Malik Willis was, that he was even going to get a look at that right. starting role as long as Nix was there. And uh, so he realized that and peaced out and uh, went to a situation where, you know, Hugh Freeze uh, goes to Liberty and is like, hey, man, I've got this fun offense. I want you to run it 
and uh, in his first year there just goes off is a really fun dual threat. Uh, we see the, the raw tools and raw ability, but, um, you know, from a, an efficiency standpoint, the peak's just not really there, right? And so uh, this past year, for most of the year, uh, he looks even better than the year before from a number standpoint. And he's making ridiculous 60-yard throws down, like, on the move. And and it's a lot of fun. You see the tools every single game. And then he misses a, a really dumb, easy throw over the middle for an interception, mm -hmm. multi-interception game against, you know, University of Louisiana, uh, Louisiana Monroe. Uh, and you're like, what? Who is this? Like, why do I care about this quarterback at all? Yeah. And so you, you see the highs and the lows. But the NFL – they're addicted to the highs, so they're going to take him regardless because uh, he's probably going to run like uh, four four ish uh, mm -hmm. if he does run the forty, and uh, we haven't seen something like that since RG three. Yeah, and I, I think the the lazy comparisons people are trying to say more Lamar Jackson. I think we're talking not quite even Jalen Hurts type ceiling. You know, they like kind of more in that area because I I don't know if I'm I'm completely off base on that, but I'm hearing people like. Oh yeah, he's gonna be Lamar Jackson light, and I'm like, no, Lamar Jackson was, you know, like an MVP here in the league, and he's actually, you know, yeah, better in every single way imaginable. Yeah, I mean, he had just a better profile from a pass efficiency standpoint, a competition level, um, and better rushing numbers. It was just hard to do because uh, Malik Willis in his peak accounted for like 37 percent of Liberty's rushing yards, which is just nuts for a quarterback, yeah. like a. I mean, the minimum threshold I like to see is 5%. Like, if you're a stud rushing quarterback, you know, over 15%. And he had more than double that. So, uh, fantastic for a, a, a Konami code type of projection. Yeah. So, I think he probably is super valuable early on because of his legs. Even if he's like, just like Jalen Hurts, even if he's like the bottom three in pass efficiency at, in year one, like, it won't matter. Because yeah. he had so much value with his legs. Uh, and by the way, the league was just wrong. On Jalen Hurts, like his peak season at Oklahoma was above the 90th percentile. Like I believe it was like 94th percentile from a pass efficiency sta uh, standard. When you adjust for like schematic variables like play action percentage, jet motion percentage, his average depth of target, um, any kind of advanced metrics from a passing standpoint, like it's kind of odd that he dropped to pick 52. Yeah, well, and I mean, since we're on Jalen Hurts, and I I love Jalen Hurts, he's someone in Dynasty that I feel like. Like we're we're moving him back way too far. Like as if you know, because Philadelphia hasn't made the the strong commitment, and there's been rumors there. But I mean, I think Jalen Hurts puts up nice fantasy numbers. He, I, I mean, as an as an Eagles fan, I enjoy watching him play. But it's like he progressed this year towards the end, where I thought he's starting to put himself towards an area where he's feeling a little bit safer, and he's still got that great upside. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I'm right there. Uh, I'm a believer. And honestly, even if it doesn't really work out perfectly from this point on, your initial investment in a Jalen Hurts, unless you overpaid after he went off, you've already you know seen a huge, huge benefit, like in Superflex leagues even. He was going late round two or round yeah. three uh, yeah. or beyond in some spots, So, which is just nuts for a guy who brought that value with his legs. I know at the time, I guess Carson Wentz was still there, and so – uh, oh, we're going to have to wait for a while, but yeah. uh, we saw how that played out. Yeah, I saw him. I mean, I was grabbing him at 212 on my contender teams all over the place, 212, yeah. 211. Um, are there any quarterbacks in this in this class that might go under the radar? Some of the guys like that, like, I mean, Jalen Hurts was much more higher profile, but a guy that might go under the radar who has some, some super flex value here. Uh, yeah, Bailey Zappi, 
Um, he's not going to add a bunch of value with his legs, but if somebody does surprise and, and, and goes the Mac, John, uh, Mac Jones route and uh, accidentally makes their way into a starting role uh, like Kirk Cousins did, you know, being a day two guy, I think Zappi could slot in. Uh, if you're not familiar with Bailey Zappi, uh, former Houston Baptist quarterback, and that scheme that they had was just nuts. Like they were throwing the ball, I think, 54 times a game um, in 2020. They, they played four games against FES opponents that year, and he just put up absolutely absurd numbers, uh, throwing to his favorite target and Jareth Stearns, uh, who uh, who declared this year also. Uh, Western Kentucky brings over a bunch of coaching coaching staff, the entire offense, uh, like set of offensive skilled players uh, for what for uh, Houston Baptist. They joined Western Kentucky along with like 20 other transfers and completely turned their program around and and jump from like bottom of the conference USA type situation to the conference championship in one year. Thanks to Bailey Zappi breaking the all time like single season passing touchdowns record with 62 in a season in 14 games, 62 wow. passing touchdowns, passing uh, that of Joe Burrow in his crazy 2019 season, passing yeah. uh, the all time record for passing yards in a season. He was just shy uh, of 6,000 passing yards in 14 games. And so, uh, and not, it wasn't that he was just volume driven. Like he was efficient uh, on almost 700 passing attempts. Uh, and like it was like 90th percentile plus pass efficiency on 700 attempts. Like that's that's never been done before in the history of college football. And so it, he's not the toolsiest guy. <laughs> he's not going to wow you with, you know, 60 yard bombs. But uh, could he pull a Gardner Minshew and be a lot of fun? Absolutely. Uh, Gardner, there's no one more fun than Gardner Minshew, man. He's, he's not going to be that out personality. There, out there, yeah, no, out there with his yeah. swords and his mustaches. So we we talked about those top oh, two guys. Quick, Mike. Oh yeah, go ahead. Um, before we move on, I want to kind of look at the other side of the coin here because we're talking a lot about these quarterbacks that you know you think can ascend, uh, who might not have these great profiles, right, as prospects. Um, but on the other side of it, I've gotten a lot of trade questions regarding Trevor Lawrence, right? What do you do with a guy who, from all angles as a prospect, just looked phenomenal, um, who kind of craters? And, and I think a lot of it had to do with Urban Meyer, but at the same time, you know, how much does that, does that stunt their growth and affect their career trajectory? You know, we've seen these some of these highly rated guys, like a Sam Darnold or a Baker Mayfield, just not pan out even with good rookie seasons so what does that mean for a guy like Lawrence I think this second year is going to be incredibly important uh, if we uh, look at historical data on quarterbacks and when they peak uh, most of like uh, the, the most significant leap and improvement in production uh, for fantasy purposes and just for real life purpose like, like you know from QBR to any kind of passing uh, metric improvement we see the biggest leap uh, when you look at big sample data, like from first year to second year. And then a bunch of people, if they don't do it then, it's from second to third year. And many players like peak at that point, and they're never actually the same again. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that, um, well, it's probably more to do with like rookie contract structures these days than anything. Because a lot of players that are just good enough don't even get a second contract. So we see that peak come earlier from a collective quarterback standpoint, year two, year three. But from an individual standpoint, the guys who have that staying power and stick still see the most significant leap in year two and year three, uh, most of the times year two. And I think 
Trevor Lawrence can't get any worse than he was last year. Uh, and I if you look at uh, the number of forced throws, like any any source you want to use, like Pro Football Focus, Sports Info Solutions, like the guys that really dig in through the data and, and really call call passes bad passes. Essentially, uh, like he led the league uh, for several weeks to begin the year, um, and a lot of that had to do with the fact, though, that he's just so freaking confident in his arm and his ability that he's forcing things. Uh, and I think he got away with that at Clemson because he had these these trees uh, at uh, like T Higgins and Justin Ross and uh, even some smaller shifty guys like Hunter Renfro that could create their own space and he could just make every throw and throw guys open. But in the pros, like he had to learn a lot really fast that he probably can't make all those throws that would probably actually be bad throws um, if if not for the player he's throwing to. Um, so he's he's going to have to clean that up in terms of his decision making in year two in a big way if we want to see him stick in the NFL. But if he doesn't stick in the NFL, we all should just stop evaluating the quarterback position because we don't know anything. <laughs> right. Again, he was that, you know, generational talent that we always talk about. And in, in Dynasty, he's become, I mean, last year we he was going in the first round, which is just absurd, you know, taking a, a rookie quarterback in the startups. Now he's falling into rounds two, three, and now he's, you know, I, I feel like we're going to see a, a nice uptick there and you just kind of bounce back. Um, with the wide receivers, you know, we talked about those two guys in that, in those top class, the next class from what we've been looking at is is pretty even for a while here. And it's a longer list. I mean, you know, we got guys like Drake London and Jamison Williams, David Bell, you know, George Pickens, Wandale Robinson, even Chris Olave, like this, there's a good group of wide receivers here, about eight guys deep. Do any of those guys separate themselves to you? Do you put maybe Olave and, and some of these other guys in a tier above, or do you have a bigger tier like that as well? I have a big group here uh, where I'm looking at landing spots, uh, and they're all different types of players too. I mean, Drake mm-hmm. London, like how do you compare Drake London to Chris Olave or Drake London to Jahan Dotson? Or Drake yeah. London, for goodness sakes, to Wandale Robinson. Like, yeah. <laughs> like they're just completely different archetypes across the board. Uh, among all these top tier uh, players. And so uh, I think a lot of people want to place Drake London up in that conversation with Burks. I think he's much slower than Burks. Um, I think Drake London has a great resume in terms of his contested catch ability. Um, and I, I think I, I've seen a few people talk about how he just creates separation in at different points, uh, you know, than a, a fast shifty wide receiver would. He doesn't rely on that, that first step. He doesn't rely on, um, you know, just just that quickness. He's got some nuance to his game, even at the catch point where he just creates space at the last second and and wows. And so I, I love Drake London quite a bit. Chris Olave, uh, I believe, is is one of the best deep threats in the country. Uh, I think a lot of people undervalue that aspect to his game because they got stuck on just watching this past season where, where he had a significantly lower average depth of target than uh, in the two preceding years. But he had 19 touchdowns on on plays uh, where, where targets were more than 20 yards downfield. Uh, that's more than I believe any player in that same span in college football. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, Jamison Williams, I'm really high on him. If, if he was that's healthy my completely, that's my guy uh, he would probably be my wide receiver three. And he um, is performing at the com- combine, correct? I don't, I don't think so. No, uh, no, no, I don't no. Think so. Are we, no, he and Mechie, I think are going to be out. So okay. that's a bummer. Right. Yeah, I know. So. Cause we're like, if you, if he gets out there, I mean, he has he's got four or three potential wheels, you know, and that's going to shoot him up boards. Yeah, and, and it stinks we can't see that, and I'm not sure he really even, you know, he's 
fully healthy by week one of this year. I think it, it would okay. be a, a big leap to assume that would be the case for him or Mechie, uh, yeah. really. We, I mean, uh, you know, doctors are getting insane and, and rehab times are shortening, but it's just not a sure thing. So yeah. I think I have questions. And I think because of that, and uh, even after the NFL draft, after he gets selected, people are going to be reminded, oh, like he's not even he's not even close to ready for OTAs. Okay, I'm not, yeah, I'm, I'm going to let him drop a little bit. And so I think that's why for me, I'm not ranking him as a surefire wide receiver three, but he's in that in that tier for sure. Mm-hmm. The other guy that, you know, he also had the ACL tear, but I mean, in 2022, a lot of times, or in 2021, people looked at him as potentially the wide receiver one and, and George Pickens. George Pickens is a guy that I think is, is very polarizing as well right now because people are, you, you know, you put your rankings out there on Twitter and people are going to be like, you're too low on George Pickens. You know, like there's so many people that are George Pickens fans. Yeah, and I think it's just if you're not ranking him low, um, you're just being incredibly optimistic, you know, uh, because I think I, I bake in a little bit of risk. I like to do that. A healthy amount of risk given uh, the situation and given his instant impact. We did see some version of George Pickens come back uh, at the end of the season, but he was not exactly the same. He had that one really good play in the national championship where he laid out like completely completely horizontally, but that was mm-hmm. his only catch in the entire game. Um and so we were used to seeing this dominant athlete uh, who just destroyed people on go balls and comebacks and uh, after the catch and, um, you know, took up 30 percent or more of Georgia's passing offense for a good portion of 2020. And even like when he was a true freshman, he was doing that. So from an analytical perspective, he broke out super early, checks all the boxes you want to see but from a film standpoint. Uh, he's a DK Metcalf type that is mm-hmm. not as athletic, actually. Like, he's not as fast. Um, and I don't think he's as freakish just overall athletically. But he's basically just a go-curl comeback guy. Uh, and so he's probably going to have to add some layers to his game. And I think he can. Um, and I think he has the upside to be the wide receiver one overall in this class. But I have him ranked, like, wide receiver seven or eight just because um, I'm thinking instant impact in year one. Um, and I don't think I'm getting that uh, unless yeah. he's in the perfect spot. So I could probably acquire him for cheaper later um, than, you know, if, if I ranked him as my like wide receiver three, where his upside probably lies. I like it. We always try to keep everybody to about that hour mark because I know your time is is super valuable. But if you had to pick right now, like most of our listeners, they're really jumping in round one, round two. You know, they're starting to get those names. Talk to me about a couple guys that could go, you know, and I know we have a long process here, but some guys that they should start paying attention with their third round rookie picks, the guys that might be really rising up some boards that, that you know, you're you're involved in the Devi community, so you are a lot more involved in, in what those things are. But some guys that might be third round, fourth round kind of guys that they might be able to really sneak into their drafts. Um, I'm not sure it's going to land this way. Uh, eventually when it's all said and done. And I think that some, some mock drafts on, in fantasy circles are having him go higher. Uh, but Rashad White, um, I think real draft people don't have him high enough just yet. Um, I think he actually performs pretty well at the NFL Combine. So I don't think he's going to be that uh, third-round rookie uh, or even in the conversation for late two. Maybe when it's all said and done, he's my running back five uh, right now. And so that's probably higher than most people have Rashad White. But uh, he should go higher than than most everyone has him ranked right now. Like he was one of the best, if not the best, receiving back in the nation. Mm-hmm. Averaged 11 yards per touch in 2020. Uh, you know, he took the JUCO route, uh, junior college that is, and so he didn't have like the earlier breakout. He's a little bit older, 
But as far as running backs, able to make an instant impact, he's like 6'2", you know, 210, 215. Mm-hmm. Like he's built like a, an old ex-wide receiver, but he's a running back and he can make you miss inside a phone booth, you know, whatever. He, you know, he can do all those things uh, from an el- elusiveness standpoint. Got a super high missed tackle force rate. Um, and so where the we see a guy where the film and the analytics kind of agree is probably a good player. If he tests out well athletically, I think most people are going to come around on Rashad White. And I don't think they're going to come around on like the, the stereotypical big running back you guys like Brian Robinson Jr. or James Cook or Zamir White. I don't think that they're they're probably going to be overdrafted. And mm-hmm. if, if Rashad White is going after them, that's probably a mistake. So I'm keeping an eye on Rashad White regardless of where he's actually drafted. Even if he's around four back, I don't care. Like, a la Ramondre Stevenson just a year ago, I would be interested in taking him early round three all day long if he does go in round four. Um, That's probably my favorite running back prospect in this class. Uh, But I think that there are other guys like Jerrion Ely that I think most people, because of his size and because of his – I guess less than stellar production profile arc uh, because they don't understand the full context of, you know, what got him to where he is. Uh, we don't have him ranked very highly at all, but I'm going to be grabbing him every single place, even if he's drafted in round five. I don't care because the dude uh, could be playing professional baseball if he wanted to. He was a five-star talent coming out of high school. Uh, he was running sub four, five, 40 and showing bursts like from age like 16 like he's an absolute. I think that he probably could impress at the NFL Combine more so than any other back, just from a raw metric standpoint. I think like his size adjusted stuff isn't going to be crazy, but he's gonna he's gonna be in the four fours. Uh, he's gonna jump probably forty inches in the vert. He's gonna have a really high broad jump. He's gonna kill it in all the agility. Like he's probably gonna be the most impressive back that's probably undersized, right? Uh, maybe he's that Eli, Elijah Mitchell from from last year uh, that people kind of overlook because well. Uh, with him, it was competition questions, but Ely right. has all the pedigree, all the athletic ability, and he's a great receiving back too. He was coming off of shoulder surgery this past year, had to miss all the baseball season, basically had to quit baseball. And uh, and then even when once the season, season began, he wasn't really himself and had to share too many touches with Henry Parrish and Snoop Connor. So we didn't see this crazy peak production year that we could have seen last fall. Uh, but Jerry and Ely is, is one of my favorites. And he was a guy who was taken early in Debbie drafts uh, even like two, three years ago. So I, I like watching your reactions when you're, when you're talking about these guys because you can tell you light up on certain players, and those are definitely guys that I'm going to be looking out there for, for Ely and White as well. I want to thank you very much for coming on. You know, like, Why don't you tell everybody where they can find all of your work? And if, if you guys aren't, I mean, you guys got to follow Travis. You got to check out what he does from Canton to Cam. Or, I'm sorry, campus to Canton. You know, sorry. It's been a long day. You know, it started out with a lot of, a lot of, awesomeness but uh yeah take us home here sure man yeah i mean a, a lot of i used to write for way too many, many places but i consolidated uh and so most of my stuff you can find at rotoviz.com uh for all of your debbie fantasy football college fantasy football D- dfs and nfl draft and all things football really you know uh there and then you can find uh weekly stats pieces for college football goodness just for college football fans at saladverbal.com and then my co- and my podcast that you can find on our own feed and Road of His Radio is the College to Canton podcast that I do with Stefan Leco. But uh, yeah, that that's generally me. But I uh, appreciate you guys having me on again. Um, yeah, anytime, anytime, man. Love talking rookies. Love talking NFL, college, all the above.
Yeah, thank you so much, Travis. I appreciate it. Mung, what's, what's cooking for you? Yeah, uh, just update all my Dynasty rankings. You can find those over at Fantrax. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at FFA underscore Mung. That's M-E-N-G. And real quick before we close out, I wanted to bring this full circle, Travis. Uh, we talked about uh, somebody talking about trading the 103 for a random 2023 first, right? Yeah. At, without knowing landing spots, without knowing combine numbers right now, you know, what? how far down are you willing to go before you say, I'm out on this first round draft pick for a shot at a Jackson or a Bijan or in Superflex, maybe a Stroud or a Young? Yeah, if it really is like a true random first for next year and like, you know, there's not an obvious team that's just absolutely terrible and tanking. <laughs> um, I think I, if you get to like 105-ish, um, I'd probably take a look. Maybe 106-ish. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think that's the sweet spot just just to take a Because you're probably missing on your running back one. Or you're missing your wide receiver one. Or you're missing your quarterback one. If you get beyond pick three or four this year, uh, you're probably not going to have the most ideal landing spot uh, for your guy. So I'm okay. Like once you get to pick five, uh, shooting for the stars with a B. B. John Robinson, Jameer Gibbs, um, you know, Jackson Smith and Jigba, Keishon Butte, you know, one of those clear players that's going to be, you know, in, in the top 10 draft capital conversation, maybe even at running back again. Like, I mean, uh, next year's class is really stacked. We could see uh, a resurgence of a capital investment next year too. So uh, very intriguing next year's class but great yeah great great uh, great question there and for those of you guys that drafted with me and smash except three and you let me have eight 23 firsts it's gonna be it's gonna be a fun year you know once we start that draft but thanks again for tuning in guys and enjoy the process